What's up, everybody? So I know this isn't Nico giving the uh, intro as normal. He's not going to join us today, but we have a really uh, interesting, maybe not the sexiest of topics, but super important for understanding how to, you know, conduct marketing in a way that doesn't put yourself or your company at liability. So with that being said, today we're talking about how to maintain compliance with a few major United States marketing regulations. So the three that we're going to cover today are going to be the California Consumer Protection Act, the CAN-SPAM Act, and the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So you may have heard of all of these in one way or another. However, we're going to give you a brief overview. I would like to state how to start. We're not lawyers. So any specific questions you have, please consult an attorney or somebody who is far more qualified to uh, discuss these issues at length with you. Um, we're just going to give a quick overview of all of these things. We've read through these laws. We, we know them relatively well at this point. Um, and we want to make sure that anybody doing anything, uh, any email marketing, text marketing, phone marketing, any advertisement understands the basics of how to maintain compliance. So myself and Justine are going to go through these things, but I'm going to give you, before we get into the, the nitty gritty of the specifics of each individual law, I want to give you a few big things you can do to be compliant with most regulations. So number one would be provide an easy way for people to opt out. That's important. That's going to be a recurring theme. You're going to see that choice is really important. If people choose to receive certain messages versus don't choose to receive certain messages, that is where the liability often lies is whether or not somebody elected to have that particular uh, message sent to them. Two would be to make sure people know who's contacting them why and how they can contact the message sender. So if I'm sending an email to somebody, I want to make sure even just having an email signature with your phone number or your uh, business address is totally acceptable. You just want to make sure they know who it is that's sending and how to contact. And the final thing would be to have an up-to-date privacy policy on your website that discloses how you use data uh, and what types of marketing materials and things you may send out to individuals. This can just serve as an additional act of protection for yourself. Whereas you, you know, if, if anybody brings up any issues, you can always say, hey, look, it's in our privacy policy. You agreed to this. If you didn't read our privacy policy, that is not our problem. That's up to you. So those are the big things I would make sure every business does in all of your marketing to ensure basic level compliance with these regulations. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the California Consumer Protection Act. Justine will talk about the CAN-SPAM Act, and then I'll finish with uh, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, so TCPA. If you have any questions on any of those, please, again, ask your lawyer. <laughs> um, beyond that, I do want to note we are not going to be talking about GDPR because it is a EU privacy law. It's not a United States privacy law. That doesn't mean it doesn't have implications in the United States. But for these purposes, we're just going to be talking about United States laws. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the California Consumer Protection Act. The reason for this being it's the most similar law to GDPR in the United States. Uh, however, 
the California Consumer Protection Act is much less robust. So it has specific limits on who it even impacts as well. So if the following uh, rules don't apply to you, CCPA likely does not apply. So the CCPA applies to for-profit businesses, and that's another recurring theme that you'll see. Oftentimes, nonprofits are exempt from many of these rules. So the CCPA applies to for-profit businesses that do business in California and meet any of the following. You must have a gross annual revenue of over $25 million. You must buy, receive, or sell the personal information of 50,000 or more California residents, households, or devices or you must derive 50% of your annual revenue from selling California residents' personal information. Now that immediately limits the, uh, the application of CCPA drastically. So if you're not making over $25 million, if you're not selling 50,000 or more uh, residents' information, and if you're not making 50% of your inf income or more, uh, by selling California residents information, a lot of these rules likely don't apply to you. However, it's still good to maintain relative compliance with the rest of it, despite a lot of these not really applying in a lot of ways. So the first thing is that California residents can ask businesses to disclose what personal information they have about them. So really what that means is if I'm a California resident, I could ask uh Joe's Pizza, hey, Joe's Pizza, what information do you have on me specifically? And they can say, okay, we have your phone number, we have your email, uh, we have your uh, opt-in to receive our marketing information, and uh, that's all we have. And I can say, great, I can ask them to delete that personal information. I can ask them not to sell my personal information. I can explicitly say, hey, do not sell my information. I also have the right to be notified before or at the point the business collects my personal information. That basically means I check a box that says I consent somewhere. And it's also important to note that when I check that box, that it notes what types of personal information is being collected and what might happen with it. So let's say I fill out a form to buy a sweatshirt uh, if at the end of that form, there's a checkbox that says I consent to receive all marketing uh, information, either by email or by phone, um, and it won't be sold to anybody, but it will be used to market back to you. That's totally fine. One other thing, businesses cannot make California residents waive these rights or any provision that you might have in a contract that would waive those rights is not enforceable. So please keep that in mind. If you have things like that in your contracts, it's not entirely enforceable. So those are all the big things of the CCPA. And I know there's a lot more to it. Uh, again, we're just going high level here on what you need to do to maintain compliance. So back to our few rules above that we listed to be able to maintain compliance in uh, most regulations provide easy ways for people to opt out, make sure people know who's contacting them, why, and how they can contact you back to, for example, have their personal information deleted from your database and have an up-to-date privacy policy. So if your privacy policy discloses all the things you do, 
that oftentimes can serve as informed consent. So uh, please make sure that you're following those rules when it comes to the California Consumer Protection Act. And again, many of those rules will likely not apply to most businesses unless you meet those three big qualifications. So that's everything I have on the CCPA for now. And Justine, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking a swing at the CAN-SPAM Act. Yeah. So the CAN-SPAM Act um, is like to address the problem of unwanted commercial email messages. Um, so this requires the Federal Communications Commission to issue rules about commercial email and some text messages sent to wireless devices and you know, stuff like that. So we're going to be focusing mostly on the email aspect. There is some stuff about robocalls and, you know, phone calls and stuff like that. But since we mainly use the rules about email, we're just going to kind of go over those um, and how you can stay in compliance with it. So rule number one is don't use false or misleading header information. So it needs to be accurately identifying the person or business who initiated the message. So you can't like mislead people into thinking you're someone else. Um, don't use deceptive subject lines. The subject line must accurately reflect the content of the message. Number three is identify the message as an ad. Um, this one has a lot of leeway in how to do this, but you must disclose clearly that your message is an advertisement. Number four, tell your recipients where you're located. Um, your message must include a, a valid physical postal address. Um, so anything like your current street address or a PO box or private mailbox that you've registered a commercial mail receiving place at, that you need to have that address listed in your message. And then number five, tell recipients how to opt out of receiving future email from you. So tell them steps for how to do that and then honor those opt-out requests promptly. Number seven is monitor what others are doing on your behalf. So if you hire a company, a company to handle your email marketing, um, that you're not contracting away your, your legal responsibility to comply with the law. So just monitor what you, who you're hiring to help with your email and make sure that they're complying with these laws. And there's a lot more to it, but uh, these are just kind of the rules that we want to make sure you know about and you comply with when you're sending emails. Yeah. The CAN-SPAM Act, to be honest, you could pretty much send whatever emails you want. You just got to have those basic things. So that's all that's really regulated in terms of the email space at this point. Um, and there are always going to be a lot more things, but now we want to get into kind of the big ones. So that would be the Telephone Consumer Protection Act or TCPA. So this applies to anybody doing any marketing uh, through phones. And this compliance piece is very important. This one is regulated most. So it's most enforced by the FTC and the FCC. They do kind of share some responsibilities here. However, most of it's going to be done by the FCC. So FCC, Federal Communications Commission, one of the most common complaints they get is on unwanted phone calls. And therefore, this is one of the areas that they focus on the most. 
However, things are enforced relatively loosely, so please just keep that in mind. So this really impacts anyone doing marketing through automated calls, cold calls, faxes, or text messages in the United States. This is another rule that nonprofits have exemptions to. So if you're a nonprofit, you're good. You're pretty much golden. You can do almost whatever you want. So there's a couple things that are important in terms of who you can reach out to. So there's a few different qualifications. So number one, if somebody gives you explicit permission to contact them, you're good. So for example, if they check a box that says I consent to this, you're totally fine. Anybody whose information can be found in a public directory or website. So what TCPA is saying here is that, hey, if your number's in the phone book and people start calling you, your number's in the phone book. Like, I don't know what you expected. And the final rule is you got to make sure anybody who you do contact is not on the do not call registry. So those are important in terms of who you can reach out to. Those rules are a little bit more specific. So again, you need any of the following. So somebody who has given you explicit permission to contact them, someone whose information is uh, publicly found on a public directory or a website, or someone who is not on the do not call registry. So make sure that you're following all those rules. Now, for some best, best practice, compliance with TCPA is easiest if you don't use automated dialers. So there has been some, uh, I guess, debate between various judges about what actually constitutes an auto dialer. However, the FCC has issued a declaratory ruling um, clarifying and a follow and affirming a couple issues. So about what makes something an auto dialer. So one, if the equipment is uh, used to make calls or send texts to a large volume of telephone numbers, it's not prohibitive of whether that equipment is an auto dialer under TCPA. Whether the calling equipment is an auto dialer turns on whether the equipment is capable of dialing random or sequential telephone numbers without human intervention. Even when an entity uses an auto dialer to call or send text messages to a telephone number, it may still avoid some TCPA liability by, attain, by obtaining prior consent first. So those are just a few things to keep in mind when it comes to TCPA. Again, the auto dialers is the trickiest part of this law. So let's say you uh, send out automated voicemail drops that could violate TCPA rules in a lot of instances. Again, you need to make sure those people are on a do not call or are not on a do not call registry. Ideally, you would have gotten their phone numbers from a publicly accessible uh, database or website. Also, the TCPA does institute time limits about when you can and cannot call. So for example, you can't call before 8 a.m. to the recipient's local time or after 9 p.m. to the recipient's local time. And you need to identify yourself and how you can be reached. So again, very similar to uh, kind of the best practices we've laid out before. But another big thing that the TCPA allowed is to give telephone service providers the ability to block robocalls to consumers. Um, 
Telemarketers cannot use any automated dialing to call wireless phones and leave pre-recorded telephone telemarketing messages without consent. Now, there is some gray area here in terms of what messages can and cannot be left. So you need to just make sure that if it can be seen as a uh, as a marketing message, that is where things get tricky. So I can even give a real life example. One of the earliest cases uh, of prominence regarding TCPA was that Best Buy had sent out a text message to people on their list who uh, their rewards points were going to expire soon. And that's all the message said. They said, hey, your rewards points are going to expire soon. They were found to be violating the TCPA under this, even though that could potentially be seen as informational or it could potentially be seen as a marketing message. What the courts ended up deciding was that Best Buy was in violation of TCPA because the real intent behind sending that message was not solely to inform people that their points were expiring, but to get those people to come in and spend those points and then some in the store. So that's where things can get tricky. It's important to kind of walk the line between in informational messaging and marketing messaging very carefully. So also keep in mind, customers uh, and consumers can revoke consent to receive calls or text messages in any what the uh, FCC calls a reasonable way at any time. A good rule of thumb here is maybe to provide an easy form to be taken off a list on your website or uh, just easily accessible information. And again, when somebody opts out, you need to respect that and not contact them again. You can't uh, be calling any reassigned phone numbers. So for example, I uh, get a new phone number, but I was on your previous do not call list. My new phone number also applies to that do not call list. And then there are some urgent circumstances which can allow companies to call or send SMS messages to uh, wireless phones without prior consent. So again, what I was talking about earlier, alerts, reminders, urgent, urgent messages of one case or another. However, those messages also need an opt out. So for example, if you go to Walmart to fill your prescription, Walmart can text you and say, hey, your prescription's ready. That's not gonna be considered a marketing message. But if they don't add an option for you to opt out, that is technically in violation of the TCPA. So a couple important guidelines to follow to maintain compliance with this law. For pre-recorded messages, make sure you're clearly identifying the business, individual, or any other entity initiating the call at the beginning of your message. Um, and make sure at some point in your message, you're giving a contact number or address uh, for people to contact. And ideally for any auto dialed calls, you wanna make sure you're providing an automated opt out option. So if somebody uh, at the end of the call, let's say you get you have an automated call going out and somebody at the end of the call, you wanna have something that says to opt out from receiving further messages, press one or star or whatever, you know, you want something like that. So for example, for pre-recorded messages, you want to make sure you're clearly identifying yourself. So I could say, hi, this is Ursula Master from Boundless Media. You know, give my whole little spiel and then say, you can reach me at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. You know, give, give a phone number. So 
another big guideline to follow, as I'm sure you've guessed, don't text or call anybody on the national do not call registry for promotional purposes unless you've obtained explicit consent, meaning they have checked a box that says I consent to receive these messages. If you uh, use our website pixel, keep in mind we do identify those for you, so you don't really have to worry about these as much, but make sure if for whatever other reason you're checking that do not call registry. There is an exception here. If they have an established business relationship with your company, or again, if you got their information from a, a public directory or website. But what they mean by if you have an established business relationship, I'd have to double check this, but I believe it's within the last 18 months they've inquired about receiving your services or are a current customer. Make sure that you provide clear notice that the call or message is a promotion. And again, provide a phone number that people can unsubscribe as well as a cost-free way to be taken off the solicitation list. A web form would work just fine. Make sure to take those information, those individuals off of your list though, that's really important. Again, tax exempt organizations are not required to provide a notice of promotion. So they can send whatever they want. And make sure not to call any consumer before 8 a.m. or after 9 p.m. These rules are really important. The TCPA does have, you know, pretty steep fines when it comes to these. So the fine for violating this law is $500 per violation and up to $1,500 per violation if you knowingly and willfully violate. So this is enforced by the FTC and FCC pretty loosely, but keep in mind, a lot of complaints will trigger a larger, larger investigation into the nature, nature of the promotional messaging. And that's when it's gonna get really messy. So when we say $500 per violation, that means if I'm on a do not call registry and you call me three times, that's $1,500. So per violation is per call or text. So keep in mind, the fines for it can be relatively steep. But uh, hopefully this was helpful. Anybody who has any questions on Can Spam Act or uh, TCPA or CCPA, go ahead and uh, reach out to your lawyer. You can re-listen to this, do some research. You can find everything you need to know either on the FTC or FCC websites, uh, and you'll be able to actually read through the laws yourself. And keep in mind, if you're doing that, they're not going to be super fun to read, but it is important to make sure you understand how to maintain compliance and how to be able to do marketing in a way that's not going to put your organization up for a ton of liability. So with that being said, we are looking forward to seeing you all next week uh, with our next podcast episode. And if you need any help with marketing yourselves, please feel free to reach out to me at larissa at getboundlessmedia.com and we'll be happy to help you there.